Chapter Five of Dodo: A Detail of the Day by E. F. Benson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. It was a perfect winter's day, and when two hours afterwards Dodo and the others drove off to meet the shooting party, the grass in the shadow was still crisp with a light hoar frost, but where the sun had touched it, the fields were covered with a moist radiance. It had just begun to melt the little pieces of ice that hung from the bare, pendulous twigs of the birch trees and sent them shivering to the ground. Through the brown bracken you could hear the startled scuttle of the rabbit or the quick tapping of a pheasant who had realized that schemes were on foot against him. A night of hard frost had turned the wheel ruts into little waves and billows of frozen mud which the carriage wheels leveled as they passed over them. They caught up the shooting party shortly before lunch, and, as it was cold, Edith and Dodo got out, leaving Miss Grantham, who preferred being cold to walking under any circumstances, to gather up the extra rugs round her. "'See that there's a good fire, Granty,' called Dodo after her, "'and tell them to have the champagne opened.' The sight of abundant game was too much for Edith, and, as Lord Chesterford fell out of line to join Dodo, she asked him if she might have a couple of shots. The keeper's face expressed some reasonable surprise when he observed Edith snapping the cartridges into her gun with a practised hand. His previous views with regard to women in connection with guns were based upon the idea that most women screamed when they saw a gun, and considered it a purely unaccountable weapon, which might go off without the least encouragement or warning, and devastate the country for miles round. He was still more surprised when he saw her pick off a couple of pheasants with precision and deadliness of aim. She gave her gun back to Lord Chesterford as they neared the lodge, and volunteered to join them after lunch for an hour, if they didn't mind. Chesterford stole an appealing glance at Dodo, who, however, only gave him a half-amused, half-pitying look, and nodded assent. "'The worst of it is,' said Edith, I care for such lots of things. There's my music, and then there's any sort of a game. Have you ever seen me play tennis? And there isn't time for everything. I am a musician, and a good shot, and an excellent rider, and a woman, and heaps of other things. It isn't conceit when I say so. I simply know it. Dodo laughed. Well, you know, Edith, you're not modest. Your worst enemies don't accuse you of that. I don't mean to say that I am, for that matter. Did you ever play the game of marking people for beauty and modesty and cleverness and so on? We played it here the night before you came, and you didn't get a single mark from anybody for modesty. I only got eleven, and five of those were from Chesterford, and six from myself. But I don't believe your husband will ever give you five. You see, Bertie didn't give you any, if you're thinking of marrying him. Oh, I'm not going to marry anybody, said Edith. You know I get frightfully attached to someone about three times a week, and after that never think of any of them again. It isn't that I get tired of them, but somebody else turns up, and I want to know him too. There are usually several good points about everyone, and they show those to new acquaintances first. After that, you find something in them you don't like, so the best thing is to try somebody else. Oh, that depends on the people, said Dodo, meditatively. Some people wear well, you know, and those improve on acquaintance. Now, I don't. The first time a man sees me, he usually thinks I'm charming and sympathetic and lively. Well, so I am, to do myself justice. That remains all through. 
but it turns out that I've got a bad temper, that I smoke and swear, and only amuse myself. Then they begin to think they rated me too high at first, and if they happen to be people who wear well themselves, it is just then that you begin to like them, which is annoying. So one goes on, disgusting the people one wants to like, and pleasing people whom one doesn't like at all. It's fate, I suppose. Dodo plucked a piece of dead bracken and pulled it to bits with a somewhat serious air. "'You oughtn't to complain, Dodo,' said Edith. "'You're married to a man who, I'm sure, wears well, as you call it, though it's a dreadfully coarse expression, and doesn't seem to get tired of you. I always wonder if it's really worth while trotting oneself out or analysing one's nature in this way.' "'I don't think it is. It makes one feel small and stupid.' "'Ah, but it's better to do it yourself than to feel that other people think you small and stupid,' said Dodo. "'That's disagreeable, if you like. Wait till Mrs. Vivian comes, and she'll do it for you. She's the only person who makes me feel really cheap, about three halfpence a dozen, including the box.' "'Oh, but she won't make me feel small,' said Edith coolly, "'because I'm not small, really. It's only myself that makes me feel small.' "'I don't think I should call you morbidly modest,' said Dodo. "'But here's the keeper's cottage. I'm awfully hungry. I hope they've brought some pâté. Don't you like pâté? Of course, one's very sorry for the poor diseased goose with a bad inside, but there are so many other things to think about besides diseased geese that it doesn't signify much. Come on, Chesterford, they can count the dead things afterwards. Grant is waiting. Jack, pick up that pheasant by you. Have you shot well?' Look at the sun through those fir trees. Isn't it lovely? Edith, why aren't we two nice little simple painters who could sit down and be happy to paint that instead of turning ourselves inside out? But after all, you know, one is much more interesting than anybody or anything else. At least I am. Aren't you? What a blessing it is one didn't have to be born a fool. Dodo was sitting alone late in the afternoon. The shooting party had come back and dispersed to their rooms to wash and dress. "'You all look remarkably dirty and funny,' Dodo had said when they came in. "'And you'd better have tea sent up to you. Does shooting bring on the inspiration, Edith? Take a bath.' Edith had gone up to her room, after insisting on having two of Dodo's bottles of eau de Cologne in her hot bath. "'There's nothing so refreshing,' she said, "'and you come out feeling like a goddess.' Certainly, Edith looked anything but a goddess just now. Her hat was pushed rakishly on to the side of her head. There was a suggestion of missing hairpins about her hair. She wafted with her about the room a fine odour of tobacco and gunpowder. She had burnt her dress with a fusee head that had fallen off. Her boots were large and unlaced, and curiously dirty, and her hands were black with smoke and oil, and had a sort of trimming in the way of small feathers, and little patches of blood. Decidedly, if she came out feeling or looking like a goddess, the prescription ought to want no more convincing testimonial. But she insisted she had never enjoyed herself so much. She talked and screamed and laughed as if nothing serious had occurred since breakfast. As Dodo sat in the drawing-room, opening a few letters and skipping all except the shortest paragraphs in the Times, she heard the noise of wheels outside, and hurried into the hall to meet Mrs. Vivian. Somehow she looked forward to Mrs. Vivian's coming with a good deal of pleasure and interest. She was aware that another strain in the house might be advisable. Bertie and Jack, and Miss Grantham and Edith, 
were all somewhat on the same lines. Personally, she very much preferred those lines, and it was chiefly for her husband's sake that she wanted the new arrival. Lord Chesterford had done his duty nobly, but Dodo's observant eye saw how great an effort it was to him. At lunch he had been silent, at tea even more so. Dodo acknowledged that Edith had relieved the party from any sense of the necessity of supporting conversation, but it was obvious to her that Chesterford was hopelessly out of his element, and she felt a keen desire to please him. She had sat by him after lunch, as they smoked and talked, before resuming the shooting, and Dodo had patted his hand and called him a dear old darling, when nobody happened to be listening, but she had a distinct sense of effort all day in attending to him, and enjoying the company of the others as much as she wished. There was certainly a want of balance in the party, and Mrs. Vivian's weight would tend to keep things even. Dodo had even aroused herself to a spasmodic interest in the new curate, but Lord Chesterford had exhibited such unmistakable surprise at this new departure that she had once fell back on the easier and simpler expedient of blowing smoke-rings at him and drinking out of the same glass by mistake. Mrs. Vivian was extremely gracious, and apparently very much pleased to see Dodo. She kissed her on both cheeks, and shook both her hands, and said what a pleasant drive she had had with dear Maud, and she hoped Lord Chesterford was as well and happy as Dodo appeared to be, and they both deserved to be. "'And you must have a great talk with me, Dodo,' she said, "'and tell me all about your honeymoon.' Dodo was pleased and rather flattered. Apparently Mrs. Vivian had left off thinking she was very small. Anyhow, it was a good thing to have her. Lord Chesterford would be pleased to see her, and he was building some charming almshouses for old women, who appeared to Dodo to be supremely uninteresting and very ugly. Dodo had a deep-rooted dislike for ugly things, unless they amused her very much. She could not bear babies. Babies had no profiles, which seemed to her a very lamentable deficiency and they were not nearly so nice to play with as kittens, and they always howled, unless they were eating or sleeping. But Mrs. Vivian seemed to revel in ugly things. She was always talking to drunken cabmen, or workhouse people, or dirty little boys who played in the gutter. Dodo's cosmetic interest in the East End had been entirely due to her. That lady had a masterly and efficient way of managing that won Dodo's immediate admiration, and had overcome for the moment her distaste for the necessary ugliness. Anything masterly always found a sympathetic audience in Dodo. Success was of such paramount importance in her eyes that even a successful organiser of days in the country for match-girls was to be admired and even copied, provided the other circumstances of success were not too expensive. Mrs. Vivian was a complete and immediate success on this occasion. Dodo made a quantity of mental notes on the best way to behave when you have the misfortune to become middle-aged and rather plain. Everyone who already knew her seemed to consider her arrival as the last drop in their cup of happiness. Lord Chesterford, on entering the room, had said, "'My dear Mrs. Vivian, this is too delightful of you. We are all charmed to see you.' And he had sat down by her, and quite seemed to forget that Dodo was sitting on the other side of the fire. Jack also had, so to speak, flown into her arms. Dodo immediately resolved to make a friend of her, a person who could be as popular among the aristocracy as she was among cabmen, was distinctly a person to cultivate. 
she decidedly wanted the receipt. "'It is so good of you, Dodo, to ask me like this,' said Mrs. Vivian, when Dodo went and sat by her. "'It always seems to me a great compliment to ask people quietly to your house when only a few friends are there. If you have a great house full of people, it does not matter much whom you ask, but I mean to take this as a sign that you consider me an old friend.' Dodo was always quick at seeing what was required of her. "'Of course I do,' she answered. "'Who are my old friends if you are not?' "'That is so nice of you,' said Mrs. Vivian. "'I want to have a long talk with you and learn all about you. I'm going to stay with your mother next week, and she'll never forgive me unless I give a full and satisfactory account of you. Satisfactory it cannot help being.' She looked across to Lord Chesterford, who was talking to Miss Grantham and laughing politely at her apostolic jokes. "'Oh, Dodo, you ought to be very happy.' Dodo felt that this was rather like the ten minutes before dinner. She had a vague idea of telling Chesterford to sound the gong, but she was skilled at glances with meaning, and she resorted to this method. "'Lord Chesterford tells me you have Miss Staines with you,' continued Mrs. Vivian. "'I am so anxious to meet her. She has a wonderful gift for music, I hear.' At this moment the sound of hurrying feet was heard in the hall. The drawing-room door flew open and Edith entered. Dodo laughed inwardly and hopelessly. Edith began to talk at the top of her voice before she was fairly inside the room. "'Dodo! Dodo!' she screamed. "'We must settle about the service at once. I've heard from Herr Truffen, and he will be here by twelve, and we must have everything ready, and we'd better do my mass in G-flat, on the whole it's easiest.' I suppose you couldn't hire four or five French horns in the village. If you could, we might do the one in A. But we must have them for the Gloria. We must have a practice tonight. Have you got any musical footmen or housemaids?' "'Mrs. Vivian, Miss Edith Staines,' remarked Dodo sweetly. There was a moment's silence, and then Dodo broke down. "'Oh, Edith, you are a good chap, isn't she, Miss Vivian? Mrs. Vivian was just talking about you.' and you came in so opportunely that, until you began talking about masses, I really thought you must be the other thing. Oh, Chesterford, I haven't told you. We're going to have a delicious little service in the drawing-room tomorrow morning, and we're going to sing a mass. Granty can't possibly go to church in this weather, and Jack and Bertie are not as good about it as they might be, so you see it would be really removing the temptation of not going to church if we have church here. And can you sing, Mrs. Vivian? Will you come, Chesterford?' You might go to church first, and then come in here afterwards. That will be two services. How dreadfully, unbearably conceited you'll be all the afternoon. You might read the second lesson for us. No, I think I shall read both. Yes, Edith, I'll come in a few minutes. I don't know of any musical footman. You might have them up, one by one, and make them sing scales, and Jack can try the housemaid's voices. I'm awfully glad Herr Truffen is coming. He's a tremendous German swell, Mrs. Vivian, and conducts at Crystal Palace, and St. James's, and St. Paul's, and everywhere. That will be charming, said Mrs. Vivian. I shall certainly avail myself of it, Dodo, if I may. Only I think I shall go to church first with Lord Chesterford. He has promised to show me all his schemes for the village. I think Maud means to go too. But if you will let me, I will go to my room and write a few letters— and then you'll be free to practice. It'll be a great pleasure to hear your mass, Miss Staines. I'm very fortunate in coming just in time. 
"'Really, Dodo,' said Edith, "'you ought to cultivate the musical talents of your establishment. Last winter I was in the Pyrenees, and there was only an old sexton, who was also a charcoal burner, and my maid, and Charlie, and his valet and his wife, but we had magnificent music, and a midnight service on New Year's Eve. Charlie took tenor, and Sybil treble, and I alto, and the sexton bass. You have no idea of the trouble it was to get the sexton to learn his part. I had to hunt him up in those little brutal sheds, and thrust the book into his hand, and forbid him to eat chestnuts, and force him to drink porter and Spanish licorice. Come on, let's begin. The practice went off satisfactorily, and Edith expressed herself as pleased. She and Dodo then had a talk to arrange what Dodo called the playbill. Dodo had arranged to read the lessons, and wished to make a small selection of prayers, but there Edith put her foot down. "'No, Dodo,' she said. "'You're taking a wrong idea of it. I don't believe you're serious. Now I am. I want to do this, Mass, because I believe we can do it well. But I haven't the least confidence in your reading prayers well, or caring at all about them. I'm rather in doubt about the lessons, but I suppose we can have those.' It was distinctly news to Dodo that Edith was serious. For herself, she had only wished to have a nice little amusement for Sunday morning, which, in Dodo's experience, was rather a tiresome time if you stopped at home, but on the whole preferable there than at a country church. But Edith was really in earnest whatever she did, whether it was shooting or music or playing lawn tennis. Frivolity was the one charge she could not brook for a moment. Her amusements might, indeed, be frivolous, but she did them with all her heart. So the service was arranged to consist of a lesson, a mass, and another lesson. The choice of lessons was left to Dodo. Accordingly, next morning Lord Chesterford and Mrs. Vivian drove off with Maud to eleven o'clock church, leaving the others still at breakfast. After that meal was over, Dodo announced she was going to get the drawing-room ready. "'We must move all the sofas out of the room, because they don't look religious.' she said, and I shall cover up the picture of Venus and Adonis. I've got the sweetest little praying-table upstairs, and a skull. Do you think we'd better have the skull, Edith? I think it makes one feel Sunday-like. I shall put the praying-table in the window, and shall read the lessons from there. Perhaps the skull might frighten old Truffler. I have found two dreadfully nice lessons. I quite forgot the Bible was such a good book. I think I shall go on with it. One of them is about the bones in Ezekiel, which were very dry. You know it? and the other is out of the revelation. I think... "'Dodo,' broke in Edith, "'I don't believe you're a bit serious. You think it will be rather amusing, and that's all. If you're not serious, I shan't come.' "'Dear Edith,' said Dodo, demurely, "'I'm perfectly serious. I want it all to be just as nice as it can be. Do you think I should take all the trouble with the praying table and so on if I wasn't?' "'You want to make it dramatic,' said Edith, decidedly. Now, I mean to be religious. You are rather too dramatic at times, you know, and this isn't an occasion for it. You can be dramatic afterwards, if you like. Herr Truffen is awfully religious. I used to go with him to Roman Catholic services, and once to confession. I nearly became a Roman Catholic. Oh, I should like to be a nice little nun, said Dodo. Those black and white dresses are awfully becoming, with a dear trotty rosary, you know, on one side, and a twisty cord round one's waist, and an alms box. But I must go and arrange the drawing-room. Tell me when your conductor comes. I hope he isn't awfully German. Would he like some beer first? 
I think the piano is in tune. I suppose he'll play, won't he? Make him play a voluntary, when we come in. I'm afraid we can't have a procession, though. That's a pity. Oh, I'm sorry, Edith. I'm really going to be quite serious. I think it will be charming. Dodo completed her arrangements in good time, and forbore to make any more frivolous allusions to the service. She was sitting in the drawing-room, regarding her preparations with a satisfied air, when Herr Truffen was announced. Dodo greeted him in the hall as if it was the most natural thing in the world that he should be called upon to accompany Edith Maas. "'We're going to have service directly, if you're ready. We want you to accompany Miss Stain's Maas in G-flat. But you mustn't take the curia too quick, if you don't mind. Bertie Arbuthnot's singing tenor, and he's not very quick. Are you, Bertie? Oh, by the way, this is Bertie. His other name is Mr. Arbuthnot.' Herr Truffen was most gratified by so charming an arrangement and so great a musical treat. When Edith came down, she greeted him effusively. "'My dear professor, this is delightful,' she said. "'It's quite like old times, isn't it? We're going to do the mass in G-flat. I wanted the one in A, only there are no French horns in the village. Isn't that benighted? And would you believe it, Lady Chesterford has positively got not one musical footman.' Truffen was a large, spectacled German, who made everyone else look unnecessarily undersized. He laughed and fitted his fingers together with great nicety. "'Are we to begin at once?' he asked. "'The congregation have they arrived?' "'Oh, there's no congregation,' explained Dodo. "'We're all performers. It's only a substitute for going to church. I hope you aren't shocked. It was such a disgusting morning.' "'Lady Chesterford is surely a congregation in herself,' remarked Herr Truffen, with elephantine elegance. "'Lord Chesterford is coming by and by,' continued Dodo. "'He has gone to church. I don't know whether he will be in time for the Mass.' "'Then you have all the service in a little chapel here, no doubt,' said the professor. "'Oh, no,' said Dodo. "'We're going to have two lessons in the Mass, and there isn't a chapel. It's only the drawing-room.' I'm going to read the lessons. Herr Truffen bowed with undiminished composure, and Dodo led the way back into the drawing-room. Miss Grantham and Jack were introduced, and Dodo took her place at the praying-table, and Herr Truffen at the piano. Dodo gave out the lesson, and read the chapter through. "'Oh, it is nice!' she exclaimed. "'Shan't I go on to the next chapter? No, I think I won't.' "'It would spoil the delightful impression of the very dry bones, interrogated Herr Treffen from the piano. Ah, that is splendid, but you should hear it in the fatherland tongue. Now, Dodo, come here, said Edith. We must go on with this. We can discuss it afterwards. On the third beat. Will you give us the time, Professor? The mass had scarcely begun when Lord Chesterford came in, followed by Mrs. Vivian and Maud. The professor, who evidently did not quite understand that he was merely a sort of organist, got up and shook hands all round with laboured cordiality. Edith grew impatient. "'Come,' she said, "'you mustn't do that. Remember you're practically in church, professor. Please begin again.' "'Ah, I forgot for the moment,' remarked the professor. "'This beautiful room made me not remember. Come, one, two... We must begin better than that. Now, please. This time the start was made in real earnest. Edith's magnificent voice and the professor's playing would alone have been sufficient to make it effective. 
the four performers knew their parts well, and when it was finished there followed that silence which is so much more appreciative than applause. Then Herr Treffen turned to Edith. "'Ah, how you have improved!' he said. "'Who taught you this? It is beyond me. Perhaps you prayed and fasted, and then it came to you.' As Edith had chiefly written the mass while smoking cigarettes after a hearty breakfast, she merely said, "'How did anything come to anyone? It is part of oneself, as much as one's arms and legs. But the service is not over yet.' Dodo, meanwhile, had gone back to the praying table. "'I can't find it,' she said, in a distracted whisper. "'It's a chapter in the Revelation about a grey horse and a white horse.' "'Dodo,' said Edith, in an awful voice, "'Yes, dear,' said Dodo. "'Ah, here it is.' Dodo read the chapter with infinite feeling in her beautiful, clear, full voice. Chesterford was charmed. He had not seen this side of Dodo before. After she had finished, he came and sat by her side, while the others got up and began talking among themselves. "'Dodo,' he said, "'I never knew you cared about these things. What an unsympathetic brute I must seem to you. I never talked to you about such things,' because I thought you did not care. Will you forgive me? I don't think you need forgiveness much, said Dodo softly. If you only knew. She stopped and finished her sentence by a smile. Dodo, he said again, I've often wanted to suggest something to you, but I didn't quite like to. Why don't we have family prayers here? I might build a little chapel. Dodo felt a sudden inclination to laugh. Her aesthetic pleasure in the chapter of Revelation was gone. She felt annoyed and amused at this simple-minded man who thought her so perfect and ascribed such fatiguingly high interpretations to all her actions. He really was a little stupid and tiresome. He had broken up all her little pleasant thoughts. "'Oh, family prayers always strike me as rather ridiculous,' she said, with a half-yawn. "'A row of gaping servants is not conducive to the emotions.' She got up and joined the other groups, and then suddenly became aware that, for the first time, she had failed in her part. Jack was watching her and saw what had happened. Chesterford had remained, seated at the window, pulling his long brown moustache with a very perceptible shade of annoyance on his face. Dodo felt a sudden impulse of anger with herself at her stupidity. She went back to Chesterford. "'Dear old boy,' she said, "'I don't know why I said that. I was thinking of something else.' I don't know that I like family prayers very much. We used to have them at home when my father was with us, and it really was a trial to hear him read the litany. I suppose it is that which has made me rather tired of them. Come and talk to the professor. Then she went across to Jack. Jack, she said in a low voice, don't look as if you thought you were right. End of chapter 5